Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ether Podcast. I am Rodrigo, and I'm joined by my good friends, uh, Pequeño Juan, who at the moment is impersonating musketeers on the weekend, uh, Alberto Figueroa, who, uh, as I mentioned before, it is the he is the most best-looking and the most successful amongst all of us. And uh, lastly is Nathan Figueroa, uh, our friend and friendly neighborhood lawyer, uh, who is here to to make sure that we don't get in trouble in any way with the law. Uh, Saul Goodman. It is. Uh, <laughs> Call me, baby. we are continuing our series on the kingdom of God. Just to uh, give a quick recap to our audience on what we've talked about so far. We have talked about uh, the first episode that we did on this uh, podcast series was about sort of the some of the reasons. We explored some of the reasons as to why we tend to misunderstand the kingdom. Uh, and then we talked about what is the kingdom. So we began uh, by sort of clarifying some things about the kingdom of God. And then we delved deep into what is the kingdom. Like what, when we talk about the kingdom of God, what is it that we're talking about? And one of the things that we mentioned, we try to give the kingdom a definition. And basically what we came up with is that the kingdom of God is a place where God dwells and his king's seat sits and where his people try to spread his blessings to the rest of the world. And we talked about that. And today uh, we are talking about the king of the kingdom. Now, this is not going to come uh, as a surprise to many, but Jesus is supposed to be the king of the kingdom. And I think uh, most Christians understand that. Most people, I think, understand that. Most people sort of understand um, that Jesus sort of came as this really important figure in Christianity and all of that stuff. But all that being said, I think many of us, just like with the kingdom of God, many of us tend to overlook or not really understand what having king Jesus as our king means for our lives. And so today I want to talk about sort of what does it mean for Jesus to be the king of our lives? What is it supposed to mean? And I also want to talk about what kind of king he is. And uh, also in turn talk about what kind of kingdom he rules over. Because I think those are three uh, very important discussion points. And uh, let me begin by saying this. Uh, One of probably the biggest mental and emotional changes that I have had to make as I've studied the kingdom of God in depth is really understanding what having a king over me is supposed to mean. Uh, And I think this is especially important, an important question given the, the moment that we are living as a society. Um, even though we're now past an election, uh, politics steam still looms large in our world, and there's still a lot of things that are sort of in flux. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I think, conversations that really revolve around power and political doctrine. And in the middle of all of that, the name of Christianity gets thrown into that quite a bit. And I think, I think it's especially important just from a, 
from an, an everyday understanding again of what it means to to have a king what it means to for jesus to be the king of our lives and um i do think that it's important for us to understand also that god always intended to send a king like he intended to for his people to have a king and i think part of uh Part of the difficulty is that we don't we don't have never like the four of us, even though I think all of us are kind of immigrants here, actually, like I was I'm a naturalized uh, American. The three of you, Johnny wasn't born here, but he has an American father. Uh, Beto, were you born here? I was not. Oh, Beto also wasn't born here, but she has you have an American mom. And Nathan, his parents are Filipino immigrants, but you were born here in the United States. I was. I'm an American. Right. But I, <laughs> I say all that to say basically that none of us, even though we're not from here, we've never had kings over our heads. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, again, understanding what it means to have a king. And I think the biggest thing that I would like to communicate about having a king is the fact that the king is everything. Like in a kingdom the word and the say of the king is above all and it's also final like what the king says uh goes and again i think the part of the problem is that a lot of christians either a don't fully understand a lot of the things that jesus said and b even though they would call him king even though they would call him the christ uh doesn't necessarily live as though he was a king and so, uh, I guess, again, part of what I want to discuss is, yes, he's the king, and he came to do a very uh, specific job as a king. But before we get into that, um, I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on what, what does it mean for Jesus to be king of your lives? You know, when I think about him being king, I, it's, it's part and parcel with this you know, this other idea that I wrestle with, because like, even biblically, God and Jesus separately and together at different times, I, they're just described as like wearing many hats, right? There's father, there's friend, uh, you know, Jesus uses familiar filial terms, brother, sister, things like that. And so like, it's just because there's so many like facets to, to these Godhead figures it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to keep all those things in mind, but a lot of people will pick and choose which kind of relationship they want to have with mm-hmm. God and with Jesus, right? So some people will see God as like, you know, father, like this is my father, this is my dad. Some people will see God and Jesus as a friend. This is a friend that I can trust with everything in my life and do all these things. And, I, you know, I couldn't necessarily fault them for that because it's hard to like have all those relationships with God. But and with Jesus, but the, the relationship of king is important. I think it's really, really important, especially as people become more and more comfortable and they get a little long in the tooth in their faith um, to let go of that. I actually find that there's kind of like a this kind of progression where early on it's like, wow, amazing. And then you kind of get complacent. And then the older Christians I know like really go back to this kinghood status, which is really cool. But with king, it talks. Listening to this as this is a auditory medium. The gesture yeah. that Nathan just made is like a you. 
yeah, a reverse bell curve, as we say, a value, uh, a valley. And, uh, and, it, and it's just this, this idea of fear, like this biblical fear, I think, a little bit. And biblical fear is so interesting. Like there, there's passages where we'll use the word fear and afraid in the same passage, but they mean different things, right? How love drives out fear but, or, or being afraid. Um, but it, it, it's just this level of reverence and respect right? You don't look at a king and say, today, maybe I don't follow your rule. It's a king, right? It's just a different relationship. And I think it's an important relationship um, to to, to continue to maintain the idea, and especially because the Bible is so clear that this is the relationship, because it it, it changes things. Because for for me, at many times, I view it as like, hey, this is more of like a a suggestion, like a suggested code of conduct, conduct, as opposed to like, these are the laws of a king. And a king, by the way, that I want to follow. This isn't restrictive law. It isn't oppressive law. It's laws that are designed to um, protect me and, and protect the people that are in the kingdom and even protect people that are outside of the kingdom in many ways. Um, so I think it's important because people can look at their relationship with God in many different ways that are all biblically accurate. But the relationship of king puts a lot of weight and, and, and puts a, a little bit of that reverence and that fear back into this relationship of like, yes, you are a loving, benevolent, kind, forgiving, gracious king, but king nonetheless. And, and I, I, I willingly subject myself and submit myself to your kingdom, your kingship, you know, your reign and rule. That's well said. I think, of, uh, I think my understanding of God's kingdom has been shaped by my understanding of these patriarchal societies that they used to live in, whether it be uh, a king overseeing a nation like Egypt, you know, this large flourishing nation, or whether it be those smaller communities that are shaped by families where you have like the patriarch who would be at the center of those communities. Uh, and, and they all kind of function in the same way where, the, the patriarch of that society or the king of that kingdom was responsible for providing the needs for everybody. And he was responsible for making sure everyone was taken care of. Everyone had food, everyone had shelter, everyone had clothes, everyone had uh, an, a proper way to live. Um, and because you were being taken care of as a member of that community, you were kind of compelled to kind of live your life for that person's, you know, right. Um, I don't know, for that person's glory, I guess. You know? And compelled in multiple ways, not compelled as in like, I have to because you provide anything. Yeah. Like back then, it was very much a like, respect, you're our leader. You, you provide for us. You, 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 know, you protect us. Like, I want, I want to follow your way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. You, you, were, you were kind of building up their image. Um, and, and so your, your life wasn't really kind of to build up your own success. It wasn't to build up your own... Um, I guess value necessarily, but you were building up the 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 value of of the person who was providing for you, um, who was taking care of you, who was providing protection for you, and and all the the, the person who gave you everything that you needed. Um, so there there was this kind of mutual relationship, you know what I mean? It's it's almost like they both needed each other to mm-hmm. to flourish, um, but but there were clear cut roles in that relationship. You know what I mean? Um, so it goes a lot with what Nathan was saying is there isn't ever a point in which you decide like, yeah, like today, I don't feel like it because the king doesn't decide today. I don't feel like taking care of you. 
Right. Now, obviously, they could do that. And if they did that, like, you know, I mean, you, you could cause a huge rift in, in your society. And, and because of that, there were kings who, who, you know, would be taken out and there would be uprisings and things like that. And people would revolt because that king is not he, he's oppressing a certain group of people. And those people, you know, eventually get tired of that and that sort of a thing. So I, I view God being the king or Jesus being the king in that way. But obviously, it's meant to be in this perfect setting where this king is not going to let you down. He will always fulfill his end of, uh, you know, the commitment in the relationship. So it's really up to us, you know, will we hold up our end? Yeah. 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 And I, I'll share, uh, I think my thoughts align. And um, I came across a psalm recently that stood out to me and I think is relevant to what you guys are, are sharing. Uh, it says, uh, Psalm 20, may the Lord answer you. When you are in distress, may the name of God of Jacob protect you. Uh, may he send you help from the sanctuary, grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. And I'll just skip down a little bit. Now this I know the Lord gives victory to his anointed. Uh, down to the end, Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. And what stood out to me was, um, like, this this expression that's being done here of, like, let it go well with this king. Yeah. Because if it goes well with him, like, all that we have, like, hinges on yeah. him. And, like, the, the absolute dependence on him. And when I think about, um, like kingdom a lot of it is is re renewing and and refreshing like our main values and i think surrendering our our own reign and and us surrendering like not being king of our own life and and i think coming to realize that like the reality is someone is going to be king in our life some we're going to be under some kingdom. There's, 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 there's no way to escape that. Um, but I think it's, it's coming to a place of, okay, if I'm, if someone's going to rule over me, let it be the absolute best person that is absolutely worthy and let that person like make it have victory. Cause like, if he has victory and I'm totally in allegiance to him, then I have victory. Yeah, mm, true. You know, it, it's interesting. All of you uh, pointed to something that I think is, is super important to mention is in that when it comes to a king, it's like the, the, the king has such influence, <clears throat> has such influence over everything that happens, right? If the king is a good administrator, then the kingdom is going to flourish. If the kingdom yeah. is a peaceful king, I mean, if the king is a peaceful king, then the kingdom will be peaceful. Uh, if the king is uh, an oppressive, arrogant, uh, power-hungry person, then the kingdom will suffer. Like, yeah. one, of the, one of the things that I think that is super important for us to understand is that 
if you are going to have a king and if you are going to say that Jesus is your king, then what you're saying is that this one person is going to have very felt and very real implications on your life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think it is super important that we understand, especially from an Old Testament perspective, of what Jesus was being sent to do and how he was expected to rule. Because one of the awesome things, right, is that most people back in ancient times uh, didn't get to choose their king. Like you were, your king was the guy you were born under. And one of the amazing things about Christianity is that uh, you are making a choice of king. And I have never felt, and again, this is in the context of me really doing a deep dive over the past year and a half of what the kingdom of God is and in turn of who who the king of that kingdom is, I have never felt more at peace and more excited about uh, Jesus being my king than I have recently because I've just really enriched my understanding of the kind of king that he's supposed to be. And I just want to read you a, a, a few passages here, and I think we've read some of these uh, before. Uh, first one being in uh, Psalm 2, uh, because there's there's sort of two themes, if you will. That there's a lot there's a lot said about the king, but I feel like generally speaking, you could break every all of the things that are said about the king into two, two big categories, right? One uh, pertaining to justice, and the other pertaining to and pointing towards a very unusual king. So let me read uh, some of these scriptures to you guys. It says, uh, uh, this is Psalm 2. It says, what do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have said, my king on Zion, my holy hill, I will tell you of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them. Uh, I lost my place, I'm sorry. Uh, there we go. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way of his wrath. And is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And so it's interesting because what you guys shared both, uh, what we all actually, what you, the three of you shared, is all in this scripture that I just read. And that there is sort of this respect and this reverence that we ought to have towards this king. But also, he is a king of justice and blessings. Like, he is coming to bring good things. And one of the things that I think that is super important for us to understand is that the justice that Jesus was supposed to bring was a, a good kind of justice. It wasn't this uh, oppressive, hard 
just like break your back justice. And I want to read this as well. This is in uh, Isaiah 42. It says, that, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring uh, forth justice to the nations. He will not cry it aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burned wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring justice forth. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. He has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. And what I love about this is that, again, even this scripture makes it very clear, right, that the king that Jesus, that God is going to send, that Jesus is going to be, is going to be a king of justice, but it's not this, like, back-breaking justice. Like, he talks about how he's not going to shout in the street, and he's not going to, uh, you know, uh, make a, a wick, like a fire, just go out. Like, he is going to come in sort of a spirit of gentleness, basically. And I think both of those, all of those things together, uh, some of which may seem contradictory, because some too makes it seem like he's going to come and, and uh, he's going to come with a rod of iron. And the rod of iron was sort of a, a symbol of authority and power, right? And so he's going to come with all this power and people should fear him. And some too talks about how people should bow to this game because they don't want to make him mad. Uh, but also the, how people are going to be blessed by the blessings of this king. And then Isaiah 42 talks about how he is a king of justice, but he's going to bring that justice forth in a very gentle way. And so there's all these ideas, like the one of fear, the one of respect, and the one of justice, and at the same time, the one of gentleness, that sort of make up this portrait of this king that is very unusual. And at the same time, like, this is the king that people expected to have. It is the king that we ended up with. And as I mentioned before, it's interesting because you want a king to be just. Like you want a king that is going, sort of going to dispense uh, justice in the right way. And at the same time, you want a king, right, that is not going to be um, violent with that justice. And you also want a king that's going to bring good things to your life, right? And Jesus is all of those kings. He is that king that sort of brings all of those things uh, into one. And, and, and again, I think that should really excite us. Like that should really make us go like, man, our king is an awesome king. Yeah. When, when he speaks of justice, he, I mean, the justice that he's talking about, he's talking about like, he's kind of bringing all humans to like a level ground, like understanding that there is oppression, understanding that there's a lot of distortion. And what he's doing is he's kind of making things equal and, and fair and making sure everyone's taken care of, right? Like all this image is kind of, meant to be put alongside the image of like the kingdoms that are at work in their time yes. where people are seeing all the, you know, destruction that is happening in different, you know, people groups. Right. So that's the kind of justice that he's talking about from what I understand. And that alone changes how I understand justice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like 
a lot of times I think of justice as like he is like punishing those for to yeah, the, punishing those for yeah. doing wrong. Like that's not even the kind of justice that he's talking about. But the other thing that I was thinking about as you guys talk about fear, as you guys talk about like, um, yeah, just all of that and, and maybe like what he brings to those who are doing kingdom differently. Um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but could one say that like this idea of fear isn't that like he's going to punish us and that he's going to, uh, he's going to like break us down but it's more like fear of kingdom without him. Because like, I think of Psalm chapter one, for instance, I'm glad you brought Psalm chapter two, because I was thinking of Psalm chapter one, as we were talking about this, and I was going to bring it up. But there he, he kind of starts off comparing the two kinds of kings, the two kingdoms, if you will, right? Psalm chapter one very clearly sets up Psalm chapter two. And he's talking about the future king, the, 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 the king that has been prophesied about and he kind of sets it up like this king everything that he does flourishes because of so on and so forth and then he talks about like the way of life outside of this king you know and everything that that uh lifestyle brings is destruction and, but it's not destruction that is brought by the one who does what's right it's destruction that comes consequently by not living under this other form of king. And then I think about like, I think about like the judgment that God brought in Genesis chapter three and his judgment wasn't like dishing out punishment. His judgment was like, this is life outside of my kingdom. It, th- th- these are just natural consequences. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be pain. You're going to have to provide for yourself because I will not be able to provide for you. Mm. like all of these things you know what i mean so when i think of fear uh, i don't think of like oh man i i I pray to god i don't mess up today because he is going to humiliate me he is going Mm -hmm. to break me down and make me worship him you know Mm -hmm. i I don't think that at all i just think of like that brokenness is just naturally going to come from a life outside of his kingdom so i have a fear of life not under his kingdom yeah, I think biblical fear is such a like I think it's a, I think it's actually pretty challenging because of of exactly what kind of fear. Uh cuz for me there's many times where I, I I think of the fear as like just fear in the face of God. Fear in, in in even grasping at his nature that he created everything, that he has control over everything, that he can hand people over to their destruction to other nations that he can save you or he can you know condemn you in all these ways like you know there's a lot of scriptures that kind of support that idea of fear you know and then there's a these passages that support the idea of like everything else that is not god is 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 worth being afraid of like it's fearful of like dude what what if i go beyond the bounds of this kingdom what waits for me out there and, and it's tough for sure we could talk about it you know a lot it, yeah. I'm also glad that we're talking about justice. This is, I, I can law degree helping. <laughs> um, but justice, exactly what Johnny started saying out, was, was bringing everybody to even ground. And justice is equity. It's restoring, it's restoring equity. Yeah. So like in many cases, part and parcel that our equity is the punishment of those who have done wrong, sure. 
but also the reparations of those who have been who have suffered for those who have lost and restoring them to yeah. the thing. And it's and That's it's right. weird because like you think about the legal process and you think about how these civil suits and even some of these criminal suits turn out. And it's like, well, you can't like you can't give back some of these people who've lost those things. You can't give that back. Why they just give them money and people just care about money. It's not a perfect system, but the whole idea of them getting money is like, let's let's figure out what you lost and let's try and restore you to that as best as possible. Easiest way for our right. society is money. We give you monetary value, but the idea isn't to give you money like here's a handout. It's that this money restores you to the state you were before the crime. And this is so important in talking about unity and talking about kingdom and talking about Jesus as a king that you're bringing up, Rodrigo, is that the at, at this climate, the social media climate and the political climate, when Christians are calling for justice, if they understood Jesus' justice and justice in general, they're, obviously, the context that a lot of them are using uh, is like, God brings justice to the wicked. Don't worry about them. God will deliver to them and hand them what they deserve. And unfortunately, there are scriptures that explicitly say that. But really what it is, is Jesus restoring those who have lost back to their former, to the state before that they had lost. That's, that's justice. It, it's, it's kind of weird that if we were to talk about justice accurately when we talk on social media it's like it's like god will bring justice to the people so let's go and serve all the people and all the communities that were affected by this and let's make them feel loved and let's bring them up like that's what it that's what it really is and there's and there is there is a biblical at least i believe i think there is a biblical aspect of of punishment or the or at least relinquishing to the natural consequences of their actions like johnny said but really like what Jesus is talking about, that justice, like the main thrust of his point is what you're saying, Rodrigo, that it's, he's, he's bringing justice with a gentle manner. Well, what does that mean? It means right. he's not necessarily coming to punish all the wrongdoers. He's coming to restore all those who have suffered and all those who are lost and those who are oppressed. And if, he, if he's the king, he's the cornerstone of our lives, then that is us. And this is a question that I had asked, I think, during unity. But it was like, you know, Jesus is a king of justice, and his people should be people of justice. And so then I ask, well, then what kind of justice is the kingdom allowed to bring, right? Because we know that God can condemn, but we're not supposed to condemn. Like, there's, there's different – this is the difference you said, Rodrigo, between judging and – what was it? Evaluating? Was that what you said? Yeah, between evaluating and condemning. Yeah, evaluating – yeah, those are two different things. But the justice that we can bring is that restorative justice to bring those lowered – up, you know what I mean? It's like this is so important to the conversation that we're having that we all just need to get. Right. You know, let me just read one last thing because I think this this sort of summarizes what both of you said really well. Uh, this is in Isaiah 29. And, and just to give context here, like this is looking to a future in which uh, Israel will be destroyed, like Jerusalem, the city. Like it's all – God is saying like this is going to go away, people, and you guys are going to be exiled. But at the same time, he also talks about sort of a – a restored future, if you will. And Isaiah 29, this part of Isaiah 29 that I'm about to read is sort of like looking to that time. It says, uh, uh, in verse 17, it says, uh, Is it not yet very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as, as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind 
shall exult in the Holy One of Israel, for the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffers cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. And again, this sort of covers all of your bases here that we were talking about. It's like the, the coming king and the coming kingdom is looking to a time in which there are people that sort of deserve justice. And the interesting thing is that, like, I come from Mexico, right? And Mexico right now is a mess. But the biggest reason why it's a mess is because the law doesn't stand for the, for the people who are supposed to receive it. Like, there are people getting away with all sorts of awful things because the law is no longer working, right? And one of, one of the interesting things is that this, this is a very natural dynamic of our world and the people that, and that the people that deserve justice a lot of times don't get it. And the people that don't deserve it end up paying very harshly for that justice not being received. Like in Mexico, again, the example of my country, right? In that example, the justice not being dispensed to people who deserve it, who pays for that it are the people who are sort of living under this regime of fear and violence because of the cartels, and that's what I'm referring to, right? Who ends up paying for that is uh, the people, the, the little people, like the poor, uh, the people who live in like these uh, communities that are not necessarily in cities, like they are sort of living under this wild, wild west kind of environment because the law is not being applied. And so they're, they're, this scripture and, and really the justice that Jesus was supposed to bring was one in which the blind and the deaf right. and the poor were sort of going to be um, lifted up, if you will, and the people who deserve justice were going to receive it. And, and this um, is, I think, part of part of the, this discussion of, of this king. And I think part of, again, part of what needs to excite us is that that is the king that Jesus turned out to be. Like he came right. and he gave sight to the blind and he sort of stood up and tried to lift up people who were at the very bottom of society. And not that I want to get super political here, but even like the passage, and I think uh, a lot of people misread the passage in John where Jesus is in Martha and um, Mary's house and they're about to, you know, uh, they're preparing a meal or some kind of function for Jesus, right? And Martha is at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach and Mary's all worked up because like, hey, tell my sister to help me out because she's not helping. And Jesus tells her like, hey, like your sister is doing the right thing. Like she is doing what is best here. And this gets lost on us because we don't necessarily understand that culture. But during Jesus' time, the whole phrase of sitting at someone's feet was the posture that a student took uh, to a teacher. And so literally what Martha is doing is she's seeing what Mary's doing there uh, is that she's sitting at the feet of Jesus the way that a student would be a teacher. What's amazing about that scene, though, is that woman... Uh, usually did not receive an education. And it, they usually were not allowed to receive an education. Who went to be taught by rabbis were young boys, right? 
And in essence, what Jesus is doing in that interaction is that he is giving uh, Mary sort of the, the, the right, if you will, to do what she's doing. And that is a radical thing. Like he is, he is basically saying like, hey, this is not, doesn't belong just to the man amongst you. Like the woman amongst you can be educated and they can be educated by the Christ. Like it's not just like some puny teacher over there, like the best teacher that's ever lived. Like that's that's who can like that's who can dispense an education for this woman. Which again is like it's crazy. Like we don't necessarily think of Jesus as doing stuff like that, but that's the kind of stuff that he did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, question. So I think the only real thought I have with this, the kind of thing that maybe I haven't really like been settled on is God's form of like punishment on the other end or justice on the other end. Right. With like, so not his restorative justice, not his like uh, reparative justice, but like his punitive justice. Right. Um, and I think when I read those kinds of scriptures, and Nathan said there are plenty of scriptures that show like a punitive side to God's form of judgment. But I, I honestly wonder how much of that has to do with just how we read into it, but not how it was actually intended, right? Because when, when you read that passage in Isaiah and, and you talk about like uh, the evildoers being cut off, Mm-hmm. Like, is that really punitive? Is that really like I'm bringing about, like I'm inflicting like this kind of pain that is going to teach you a lesson? Or is that really consequential? Or is that really like clearly like an evildoer has no place in God's kingdom? Therefore, like you, you sure. just can't partake in what I have to offer, right? Adam and Eve, they were expelled from the garden because it just automatically like those two don't go together. You can't be your own king and God still be your king. Like I'm not punishing you to teach you a lesson. You just can't have both. You just can't have, they, they, they do not work. You cannot have two kings on the same throne. Um, so therefore, like you have to be in a different place. You have to be separated. Um, but it, but it's not like a punitive action that is being taken. Well, um, yes and no. Because, you know, it's interesting. And, and this is where I think understanding uh, prophecy sort of comes in, in handy. Because most of the scriptures that we've read, they're all prophecies, right? And for as much as we sort of like to apply prophecy to, like, the end of time, if you will, uh, particularly in the context of Isaiah, prophecy has a very immediate uh, future. Right. And what's interesting about both the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah is that a lot of the, uh, a lot of the subjects of uh the hammer, let's just call it that way, like the hammer of God, are sort of fall in the category of people who had been warned and didn't listen, right? People who were warned and continued to do really heinous things, which in the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, some of the stuff that they were doing was like uh, sleeping with temple prostitutes at the temple, they were sacrificing children to a foreign god. Uh, the ju- justice, like for the poor and the weak, uh, was not being handed out correctly. That there was sort of this situation where the rich sort of got away with a bunch of stuff, and the poor paid for it, right? And so it is. It is sort of these people 
uh, and the last one is, is kind of like uh, these nations that were coming to conquer Israel. There's this really interesting dynamic in prophecy in which they're both the instrument of God's justice for Israel, but God also sees them as doing something bad. Like they're mm. doing this thing because God is allowing them to do right. it. Right. But at the same time, they're going to later pay for it for basically uh, oppressing his. <laughs> Which is so confusing to it me. It is very confusing. But yeah. again, like I think it, this is a, this could turn it completely into another soul side conversation about yeah. God's sovereignty. Right. Which I don't know that we want to visit that right now. But but um, but basically. Like all all of these. All of these people, right? I think when you look at it, to a certain degree, they end up deserving. Uh, I don't know that punishment is the right word, but like they say, like you reap what you sow. You know what I mean? Yeah, the like, consequences. Right. Like, like God sends these men to His people to say, like, "Hey, if you keep doing this, something bad is going to happen to you." And I think at the end of the day, like God right. is trying to sort of save us uh, from ourselves. Right. Because mm-hmm. again, like we, we totally erase the historical context out of a lot of these books, right? And what's interesting about uh, the nation of Judah in particular is that a lot of the warnings were basically against like, hey, like you keep going down this road and you're basically going to, you're going to reap what you sow. When you look at the history, like purely the historical record that the Bible provides us, is that the kings, strangely enough, talking about kings, the kings of Judah made really bad decisions economically and in as far as it concerned the nations around them. Like they allied themselves with the wrong people or they made like at some point, uh, I forget which king makes uh, a peace treaty with Syria and then breaks it. <laughs> and I mean, what do you expect? Like Syria, the most powerful country, like nation in the world, you make a peace treaty with them, and then you break it. They're gonna come knock on your door and destroy you. Like that's not right. literally. That's some of the stuff that 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 the prophets were warning right. Israel about. Like, hey, like continue down this road, and like you you are on a path to self destroying yourself. Yeah. Right? And it's interesting because, again, if you read, like, if you read Isaiah and Jeremiah along with the book of Kings, first and second Kings, right, and you see some of the decisions that those kings were making, like, you totally see how, like, without changing course, that is totally the path that they were going to, that they were on their way to, to travel. And so, in many ways, like, I don't feel like God necessarily causes like right. out of nowhere, right? Like you're living your life and you may be doing like one bad thing here or there and all of a sudden, boom, like, you know, strategy. Like that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who were doing bad things that they were not sort of seeing how bad it was going to get and God going like, hey, this is going to get really bad if you don't stop. And then it gets bad. And the amazing thing, talking about sort of like God's kindness, right? He lets them travel down that road that is basically the road to doom and the destruction of their country. And all along, he's saying, like, hey, you're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy yourself. You're going to destroy yourself. And then they destroy themselves. 
but who restores them is God. Like, think about that. Yeah. Like, yeah. like who who takes sort of the onus of I'm going to fix this is not people. It is God. Mm. And the way that he, one of the the main ways that he does that is gonna I'm gonna send you an amazing king. Like one of the ways in which we're gonna fix this mess is that yeah. like, clearly you do not have good kings. I'm going to send you the perfect king. And that guy is gonna fix everything. Yeah. A question for you, Johnny. Um, well, I guess you too, Alberto. You, with this idea of like punishment, the punitive justice, does God really cause that, or is it natural consequences? And not to belabor the point, do you think the "with great power comes great responsibility" argument has any meaning here? How, how so? What do yeah. You about? In the sense that, well, actually, Tom Holland's Spider-Man puts it the best of like when you have the ability to do something and you don't, that's on you. So do you think that does not apply with God? So you're saying, like, God has the power to, like, put a stop to something, and if he doesn't, then it's on him? Yeah, so then would that then fall under but the I think he is God doing causing... Something. Okay. But I think he is doing something, which is what Rodrigo said. He's warning. He's constantly warning. He's not like he's, he's idle and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he may not be, like, putting a stop to it, you know, by like sending people to jail or straight up killing people necessarily, but he's just trying to stop it by warning before it even gets there. Well, last question then of what would then separate God from prophets or God from the anointed godly men who will also warn people, although a lot of it was like God speaking through them, who will also warn people. But if it comes down to it, that one person can't stop a nation, whereas God can't. You still think same thing? Just as a matter of curiosity, not challenging. So what's the difference between God and the prophets is what you're yeah, asking? Because if, if, if God intervening is him warning, which is the same thing as a prophet warning or a king warning or a godly person anointed warning, you know, what would be the difference between them? I mean, uh, we still think that God could actually intervene and just like snap a nation out of existence, but a prophet can't. Yeah, but I don't think that's how God chooses to work. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was just wondering you know, it's if... It's interesting because you say that... Uh, and in a more elaborate way, that's what he did. Because think about this, right? And this is a pattern. This is a pattern that exists all throughout the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. And my, my departing point with this is always uh, the story of Noah. Because Noah is a really interesting story to me because uh, the only detail that we have for how bad things were during Noah's time is that uh, Genesis basically says that the, the earth was filled with violence, right? Like mm-hmm. things were so bad that the earth was filled with violence. Right. And it's interesting because even uh, a, a few years ago, uh, I, I happened upon this this article this guy wrote in this uh, TED Talk that he did. I don't know if it was a TED Talk. It was something else. But basically this guy was talking about how uh, – Literally billions of dollars since the 80s has been poured into developing countries to help them uh, not be developing countries anymore, right? And like literally billions of dollars from all over the world has been poured into these poorer countries to help them come out of poverty. And in in reasonable thinking, you you should think like that's going to fix it. And the reality is that it's fixed it for a lot of people. Like the people even in developing countries are wealthier today than they were like 30 years ago. 
But the places where they're not, the one of the biggest reasons why they're not is not because of lack of resources. It is because of violence, right? Like if uh, people cannot, for example, go to school because they fear being kidnapped or shot on their way to school, like you are, violence is literally limiting progress in many ways. If there are no laws, uh, for example, in, in uh, Tanzania right now, right, which is an African country, uh, for those of you who are not very familiar with geography, <laughs> uh, there is no law protecting um, widows. So if you're married and you die and your husband dies, uh, what was your husband's does not automatically belong to you. And so what happens is the, a lot of times the families of those husbands who die come and take everything away from the wives. Like even if they have children or whatever. And so uh, in, in some ways, right, like uh, well, that was a big tangent that was going to <laughs> the story of Noah. Sorry. So what, what, what God ends up doing in a time filled with violence is that he literally wipes everybody out and sort of starts over. And when you look at sort of how the, the story of the destruction of Israel is told, it's told the same way. Like, he basically, there's all this wickedness in within his people, right? And he's going to allow for those people to be destroyed, and he's going to keep a remnant through which he is going to rebuild his nation. And so in some way not in a Thanos kind of way where he's just snapping his finger and boom, right. like all these people are disappearing. But in some way, like he is like super hands-on. He's just not doing it at the speed necessarily that we would like it to. But in many ways, the destruction of Israel is God pressing the reset button on his nation to say like, you know, like this, not that it's unsavable because he saved it, but with this group of people, this is not going to go, this is not going to work. And so I'm going to get rid of, of them. I'm going to let them suffer in a sense. And again, like, I think for some of you who may be listening to this, is like, that's cruel. Yeah. Again, some of these people were horrible people. Like, they were doing horrible things. And in some ways, what they reap was what they were sowing. And so God is allowing them to come to their own doom, Right so that he can keep the people who weren't necessarily bad and sort of rebuild everything with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, oh, sorry, Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I just <laughs> want to elaborate on your point there because I think it's very easy for us to read some of these things, particularly in the Old Testament, and just be like, what? That's crazy. Like, God just, you know, brought down fire on, on these people. and we can we can think like can feel like oh that god was so different back then um and i think miss out on some really deep important things you know i think in terms of of judgment and and justice like i'm grateful that god is not a pushover god like yeah when things get so evil and and i think that's key to this you know when we're talking about before uh, Noah and, and the flood, um, I think about Pharaoh, I think about Babylon, I think about um, Rome. Like, 
there's just like some immense evil that I'm grateful that there's a God that, that it's in his nature to not take that lightly. Now there's, there's a level of wisdom and understanding that that God has that is far beyond us. So like, exactly. There's going to be times where he, you know, we see examples where, yeah, he, he kind of did the, so to speak, snap of his fingers there's other times where he, he, he lets it go by. I think what's clear, or not go by, maybe that's not the right word, but he, he doesn't snap the fingers. When he allows we, people to kind of destroy themselves. When we would hope he would. Um, I think we, what has to be clear is that he is a God of justice and the story's not over. And I think there is a, I like what uh, we were reading here in Isaiah 42, like, that slowness, which, you know, I think it's hard for us to be okay with because it's like, oh, it's so clear. Just put these guys in jail. Um, but I, I think God is like restoring humanity. And I think if, if he administered justice like we did, where we just, you know, think about the United States of America. We put a bunch of people in prisons. How restorative has that been for our country right. you know like are there less drugs are there is there less crime you know are we any safer because we have a bunch of people in prison so like you know I, there's a lot of just like trust that has to go in there um but uh kind of bringing it back to king and rodrigo you brought up mary and martha and this idea of her being at Jesus' feet to learn from him. And so the, uh, what's, what's powerful and, and, and maybe tough to, like, grasp about the kingdom is, like, we see these scriptures in the prophets of, like, restoration and, like, bringing down the oppressor and, you know, like, really a sense of, like, um, battle that's going to happen and, and they're going to get what's due to them. Yep. But then you, you come to something like sermon on the Mount and, and you see some of the weapons that, that Jesus is, is offering. Yeah. And one of the first ones is, you know, it's told to you to not murder, but I'm telling you, do not be angry. Do not mm-hmm. be contemptuous. Do not call someone a fool. Like, before anyone could ever wage war on someone, before anyone could shoot a gun at someone and commit murder, before that, they were angry. <laughs> and they, yeah. were, they had a sense of, like, vengeance towards another person. And Jesus is coming. He's saying, when, when the kingdom has engulfed you, when, when, when your heart has just transformed, yeah. I'm telling you that not even in your heart, Will you feel this kind of vengeance and anger for someone else? And in that sense, like that weapon has dismantled the oppressor. Right. Because you think about that, that person was oppressing before, but here's Jesus bringing rain into his life, that oppressor's life. And that oppressor's now, like, I I can't remember how the plowshares are being. like bent do you know what i'm talking about that's like um oh yes the plowshares i know at 12 i think it's isaiah 40 if i'm not mistaken um 
But anyway, like basically the tools that were used previously for violence and and yes, yeah, sir, swords are turning to plows, is what it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, that that those those same tools for violence for oppression are being dismantled. Yeah. That's really well said, dude. Rodrigo, I, I did want to say, like, you, you know, I think the way you explained it, Beto, is just done in a really, really helpful way. The reason why I keep uh, harping on this is because I think the narrative can so easily turn about God being a king who is very punitive in how he brings his justice. Right. And I think a lot of people do view God, like, how many times have you heard people say, like, why would a loving God right, right. Like, exactly. send people to hell to burn for eternity and it's like it's viewed in this very like he's there to punish he's like just because you don't accept him as your lord and savior i have to burn in hell like that makes no sense that's not equal punishment but but i think people are just viewing it from a lens that's just not correct like you're not understanding the god's form of judgment all throughout history And, and like so many of those you know punishments that we've seen like you you said rodrigo it was it was much more about salvation than anything else he was trying to prevent like a a cancer from further spreading he was really trying to save creation in in the noah story and the israel story by keeping the israelites in the desert until they're all gone so that he can establish a kingdom that was actually going to be everlasting right 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 um I just think all of that changes and it goes from like, I am terrified of this God. I really don't want to do what's wrong to like, no, I really appreciate this God. Like, thank goodness he is here as my King directing me. I I just think it changes completely our posture towards him, you know? Yeah. And and let me, let me just say real quickly. So it's Isaiah two, four, because I just butchered it so terribly. (laughs) And he will judge between the nations and will decide concerning many people's, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Yeah. So, you know, Johnny, you, you just made me think of something that I really wanted to get to because I think this is super important and, and very much pertaining to our discussion here. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make with Jesus, but particularly with Jesus being sort of the, the king of our lives, right? Is this idea that, like, Jesus came to give us a life uh, that is best at it in its future? And what mm. I mean by that is, like, yeah, like, Jesus came to save us, right? And he, we're going to be in heaven with him. But that's it. When in reality, talking about, again, sort of like God saving us from ourselves. Part of what Jesus came to do as well is to sort of set the parameters of a good life kingdom. And what I mean by that is like the life that Jesus wants us to live, and we've all we've all alluded to this up until now, the life that Jesus wants us to live in the in the one that he came he, he came to give us is a good one yeah right and again like i think like we we sort of a lot of times the way that we portray christianity is like hey you become a christian and now like 
this awesome life that you're gonna live is like when you die and when like you, oh yeah right but that's, a lot of like when you when you think about times where jesus said like hey i came to give you life and uh, and the niv says i came to give it to you to the full which is not a i don't know what even that means what the, literally what jesus says i i came to give you a uh an abundant life like a plentiful not abundant in the monetary sense but like a rich quality a rich quality life exactly and so that's what he came to do and so this idea that somehow like the life that jesus came to to give us through his death and the how he was crowned king and all that stuff like the the best existence of that life is like down the line where we can't see it like that's not and I say all that to say is that Jesus is king for us now. Like mm-hmm. the, the life that he's, that we were supposed to live under his kingdom and by his teachings and from his character is supposed to be an awesome kingdom now. Like yeah. it's, an, it's a now life as opposed to like a later life. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so even yeah. again, having this whole conversation about God being punitive – it's not so much, and we, again, I don't want to uh, continue to restate it. It, it. And even in that sense, like Jesus is king of our lives and it's supposed to be a good life. And ultimately, like what people are losing out by not living life under that kingdom is a good life. You know, we were talking about, uh, I work at a school and we were talking about <laughs> how uh, <laughs> how um, much my students like me. Yeah. But part of the reason why I've, I've built a, a good rapport with my students is because I'm really, uh, I'm really forthcoming as to the life that I've lived. And uh, just the other day, man, like I was, uh, I was telling them that I lived like a really wild and crazy teenage life. Like when I was their age, I did a lot of stuff. And like the first time that I, that I got like passed out drunk was when I was 13 years old. And uh, when I was 16, I had a 22-year-old girlfriend. And so, like, I did some stuff that was crazy, man. And, like, between the time that I was 13 to the time that I was 19, which is when I became a Christian, right, I did a lot of crazy stuff. And it's interesting because part of – and I think people talk about this all the time. It's, like, part of the reason why I turned to God is because I looked at my life and I was like, you know what? I, I am no longer enjoying this. Like, this is no longer, like, what I would consider an enjoyable life. And I was like, I, something, something's got to give. Like, something needs to change. And, um, again, I feel like my life under God, under this king, has been so much richer in every possible way. Like... And I say this saying that when I was, before I was a Christian, I had amazing friends, like friends who were loyal and friends who had my back and friends that I had a lot of like fun with. Right. But I have had so much more better friends than I had before I was a Christian. Like I, friends that I know aren't just there for fun and the hard times, but friends that are there for wisdom, friends that are there for like, uh, stuff that is really uncomfortable, like friends that are there to like lift up, literally lift up and, and transform my spirit, right? And again, I say that saying that I had really good friends before I was a Christian, friends that up to this day I'm still friends with, right? But the quality of friendship 
that I have in the kingdom of God. And I think that our, the relationship amongst the four of us is very much a testament to that is like a hundred times better. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and again, all this to say that like this life in, of having a king who's an amazing king, who's a, 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 a justice uh, bearing gentle king is ultimately an amazing life. You know what I mean? Like, I think the, the yeah. whole concept of having a king, because most of the kings that we can refer to in our minds are super tyrannical, is not necessarily something that appeals to us constantly, right? But, like, that's not the king that Jesus is. That is not the king that he came to be. You know, um, one of the things that, that I also want to talk about is sort of the the dynamic that Jesus brought into the kingdom it was from the get-go supposed to be very different than the, the dynamic of other kings. Yeah. In the book of Deuteronomy, as uh, the Israelites are entering the promised land, one of the things that he tells them is like, hey, if you want a king, let me tell you what kind of king I want you to appoint yourselves over. And what he tells about is that he doesn't want a violent king, not a king that's going to come and take their daughters as uh, into his palace, not a king that's going to gather horses and chariots for war, right? Uh, a king who's going to have at the forefront of his mind the word of God and God's presence, right? So he, he basically tells them, like, before the nation of Israel starts, it's like, hey, if you're ever going to have a king, I want you to basically have a completely different king than the kings that you know of because – Success as a king was measured in chariots and horses and women in your palace and basically on how firm of a hand you had over your people. And what God tells the people of Israel is like, hey, the king that you that you want is completely the opposite than all of the kings that you have ever known. And so that's the other thing. Like Jesus came to be an upside down king in every possible way. Yeah. Both in, in the things that he was bringing, but also in, in the ways, uh, in the sort of, uh, what's the way, the, the word I'm, in the mannerisms and the ritual of kings, he basically came to be an upside down king. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, uh, first of all, that you're, you're previously talking about um, kingdom now. Uh, and, and this life now, and because which I think is appropriate, because well, one we we often think of oh, it's just like all right, I, I converted, and um, it you know it's just about once I make it to heaven, whenever that time comes, and you know not much is important from now until then. But which you know we could talk a lot about that. I think what's what is. Um, limiting about that is it's not very practical for me. What does, okay, but what do I do in the meantime? How should I act in the meantime? How am I supposed to be in the meantime? Does that matter at all? And so I think as we're discussing, what's that? You pass out church invitations. Obviously. And then you follow Um, the Bible study series. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think speaking about, um, you know, what we do in our life now is a natural transition as we're talking about the coming of the king. What does it mean for our life? Um, 
And uh, I lost my train of thought. What, yes, what was- I would too. <laughs> I know. What What were you just talking about? Um, uh, it's not a future kingdom. It's a now kingdom. Heaven now kind of a thing. Right. No, no, Jesus no. is upside down. Upside yeah. down. Okay. Okay. Yes. Perfect. There um, it is. <laughs> so which so step one or point one of what i'm trying to make is like it, it's a it's a now like your active life every day now thing and so then we can start to draw parallels between kingdoms we see in the uh in the bible to kingdoms we see today even what you just said about like what was like considered as good status for a king or, or how a king was measured the the chariots the, the the women the like how oppressive and powerful they were i can find all those parallels today yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. There, there is plenty of examples that i can find of power of of women driven of of money whatever like yeah. those kingdoms are oppressing us today and when we're under their reign we're we're not human we're we're there there's like we're not functioning the way we're meant to be but like when we are in line with what jesus is talking about we come to this like epiphany moment of like feeling fully human feeling fully exactly like when we talk about church like a community people who love one another like those are some of the greatest joys like being able to lay your your life down for others and serve them like when we do these things that are upside down in terms of what we're used to, but they're actually the, the Jesus is just turning back around what was previous, what we had put upside down, really mm-hmm. just putting it on its right, the way it's meant to be in the first place. Yeah, yeah dude. It's yeah. like, I mean, what the, what the chariots and the women in the palace and like, that kind of power, all it signified to people was like, that's what it means to like live life to the full. That's how you get the most out of life. That's, that's the good life, right? Like the way John Mark Comer and Mark Sayers talk about like what the good life is. Um, and and to, I love how you paralleled it to paralleled it to what we're going through now, right? Like we look at social media and technology as like, this is what provides us like the good life, the satisfying life, money, women and you know sex all these things we look at that it's like that's what brings about the most enjoyment you know i only live once like let me make the most of it like let me think about all the places i can travel and like just experience like the deepest pleasures that this world has to offer uh but i I love how man it brings it back to what you first mentioned early on in this conversation better is like something's going to rule you something's going to like control you and man i see it all the time i've seen it in my own life even while under the quote-unquote kingdom like right i'm in the church i'm a disciple of christ i can still live life under the rule of other things right like whether it be the internet and, and like technology and things that just completely consume my thinking and how i live like the things that i devote my time to uh the things that totally influence the way that I think. Therefore, that's how I end up acting, right? Like I, I can so easily be influenced by like all the news and the politics and all this stuff. And and that's how I start to view other people and treat other people. And that's how I start to live my life. And um, without even realizing it, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in the pursuit of like, what's the good life? You know what I mean? But that stuff is totally breaking me down. It's, it's 
causing a disruption in my marriage at times because I can so be consumed by other things or in relationships or I can miss out on the things that are truly fulfilling, not only to me, but like just to the, 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 man, just the, the real estate around me. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you get to it that it's, it's hard. It's like, it's not a, just, you make a decision. Like, like there's a, there's a decision you make to maybe convert to be a Christian and then you're discipling under Jesus, which so I love these images of people at Jesus's feet because it's like, it's the, the, the most just like submissive expression of just like, you've got what I've been looking for and I'm just going to sit at your feet so that I can uh, like get to the fullness of what you are and who you are. Yeah. That's what we do when the kingdom is here and now, that, that's been so empowering for me because if the kingdom is here now, then that means every day is another opportunity to draw even closer and to learn even more from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, show me how to do this life because when I do it on my own, it doesn't go too well. Yeah. You know, this kind of brings, sorry, Rodrigo. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that this kind of what you're talking about, Beto, kind of brings up another component of Jesus's like way of like doing like being a king that we haven't addressed, which he, like when Jesus came, he wasn't just being the king, like God is the king, but he was being the king that the kings that we're meant to be, right? Like the rulers that he created to rule over all of the earth, right? Yeah. Like the kings and queens that we're meant to be. Like that's kind of who he was also. So he plays like a dual right. role right. where he's both the king and then like the sub-king, uh, so he also kind of sets the example for us. Like, this is what it looks like when we are the Kings that he's, that, that he exemplifies. Right. And I look at Jesus's life and he's still trapped in this broken world where there's a lot of pain. Like no right. one will look at Jesus's life and be like, man, he lived a perfect life. Exactly. Nothing. No, no, he's exactly. Than anybody. He was strapped, but look at how he dealt with what he dealt with. Like, how do you go through what he went through with the mental and emotional fortitude? right? With like the kind of peace that he went through. Like you look at everybody around him, the fear that they had when they faced opposition. But Jesus is like a rock, man. You know, like he was able to go through the most grueling of like scenarios because he lived the life of the king that he was meant to live. You know what I mean? Being connected to the vine, if you will, like being Psalm one, like being connected to that stream that is God's wisdom, like that just allowed him to act the way he was created to. And that allowed his life to flourish in a way that no other life was able to flourish. So I I don't only view Jesus's way of um, ruling as like, I'm meant to obey him, but I'm also meant to rule like he ruled. Yes. Yes. You know, dude, I was just about to say something pertaining to that. And I'm glad because uh, I'm, now I'm going to get to say it in, le- in fewer words. Perfect. <laughs> you know, I, I have been uh, mesmerized, not in a good sense. M- mesmerizing that I, I've been putting a lot of attention into this. Because the past uh, four years in this country have been uh, really puzzling to me. Particularly not from a, a world perspective, because the world is crazy, but but from from Christians specifically. Uh, and again, this is I'm not just off the bat. I'm not saying I'm not trying to say anything about Donald Trump whatsoever. I'm I'm literally 
right now I'm, I'm talking to to Christians in general because this this what you just said to me is key and it, it, this is actually one of the things that I really wanted to talk about during this time one of the things that I, that we saw early on over the time that we've been talking is how the king uh, basically dictates the kingdom like how the king is is how the kingdom is going to be and in turn how the people of that kingdom are supposed to be and i love what you said that he is is in essence the 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 king that we are supposed to be as kings as well like whether we realize it or not we also get to rule over things yeah. like as right. a father i rule over my children uh I rule over my wife, although I'm, you know, I, I understand the equality thing. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't. She rules over you rule too. Over her, but okay, Johnny, jeez, <laughs> give it a rest. <laughs> but, but we all, we, we, at some point in our lives, we're all going to be over something, right? right? And how we rule over those things says a lot about who is our king and what king we're looking up to uh to to be our king and all that being said um the past four years have been really mesmerizing to me because we are sort of encountering a, a point in our society in which christian influence is diminishing more and more mm -hmm. uh, and some people would argue that that is the worst thing that could ever happen in the world i don't necessarily agree but more than more than anything um what has puzzled me is the way that people have reacted to that which is basically like we are going to try to uh regain this power right by very political means and right. by basically putting our guy or the guy that we back in charge of things never mind that this guy is uh in many ways I mean, I'm not going to mince words here, immoral, uh, arrogant, uh, like all kinds of things, right? Um, at times mean, although people would think, oh, it's mean. Like, read your Bible. Being mean is not a good thing. It's not a moral Read thing. your Bible. Yes. Being okay. mean is yes. not a good thing. It's not. <laughs> Don't be mean, guys. <laughs> yeah, turn that into a soundbite, please. <laughs> so... But again, to me, it's kind of like we we try to find the answers in all of these things, uh -huh. even in the face of this may not be the most Jesus-like thing that you could that you could do, right? And and to me, the answer is being like the king, right? And we talked about this last time. Like, imagine again, how much more willing people would be to listen to Christians if what we were known for was our kindness or our forgiveness or our uh, desire to want to help the poor as opposed to, hey, we want to back this politician or this political party. Right. You know what I mean, or like, hey, like, uh, I don't know. I can think of a hundred examples, but but ultimately, to me, is like so many times because we don't understand that the kingdom is here and the king is here, and we're supposed to be like the king, and Jesus is the kind of king that we're supposed to be. We 
lose out on what could be the most powerful statement of our faith, which is our lives. And man, like I just feel like in so many ways, we have not really begun, and I say we, I mean the Christian church, we have not really begun to tap into that. Right. So to gain in many ways the influence that we're losing. It's almost like... Yes, we are losing this influence, and again, we're the means by which we're trying to regain it at many at times does not necessarily seem completely Christ-like, and then in turn, we're surprised when people go like, "Oh yeah, well, even like we want to listen to you even less." And so, like mm-hmm. again, like we're losing sort of this this opportunity to really live lives that are upside down, that are like not typical. And losing on the opportunity to for that to have the impact it's supposed to have for people to then for us to be able to influence the world and people around us. Yeah, I've said it 10 times now, and I'll keep saying it. It's just like when you say upside down, that Jesus lived in upside down, it's like upside down, radical. Like you don't even use what Alberto said. You don't even use the same weapons that other people use. You know what I mean? And it's like, and I get it. I get the trap. I get the, the, of like, we're such a connected world. The world is smaller than it's ever been. Like these are the tools that society is using. We need to represent Jesus using those tools, which is different from like representing Jesus in those communities. Rodrigo talked to us about like the internet is a community. We need to represent Jesus. That's one thing, but using the same tools as them. Like you just imagine if Jesus, you put Jesus in front of, you know, many people, they will, no matter what, they're going to understand what he's saying. It's just how they react. So they'll either react with like, okay, this is awesome. I love it. Or they'll be like, yeah, this is all true, but I hate it. And so now I'm just going to try and shut you down. You think about Jesus, you don't think he couldn't, he couldn't reach out to any number of leaders, rulers, lords, kings. And through that, if by changing their heart, they change their communities and like it impacts everything. You don't think that Jesus could have done that? You don't think that God had thought about that? He was upside down. He literally said, no, we're not going to go to the kings. I'm going to start with 12 guys. And each of those guys are going to make more guys. I, he, like he elected, I don't know if it was elected, I don't know if it was planned, but verbiage. He elected to leave because it was better off. And, and we're sitting here and we're thinking yeah. about all the tools that make sense. This is, this, it makes sense. If I have this platform, I can reach so many more people people with my faith in all these things it's so upside down that this thing that doesn't make sense works because god is real and and we put him in this box and we continue to put him in this box like even if you think about the fact that god can make the decision to sacrifice many to save the few or to let people suffer so that they might be redeemed and rejuvenated in the future we think about that moral you know conundrum in lots of like entertainment media right thanos like that whole idea, when we think of leaders of countries like, all right, we're just going to let this country die and like, you know, this and this and that. It doesn't make sense for them because they don't know everything. But with God, you can't, cannot apply the same logic. We could right. put God in this box. So like he knows everything. And so his decision is for sure 100% the right way to go. And if he could do it any other way, he literally would. He totally would because that's his nature. So it's like it, this, it's so upside down that it's like if we go and we love and we live out kingdom now today as opposed to like hinging our bets now i'm not as strong and passionate about it as you guys i do believe as we continue to elect leaders and we continue to implement laws that move further and further away from christian values i think it makes the job harder 
in my personal opinion. Johnny has helped me understand that society is cyclical. So even though that it might get harder and there might be this like moral decay, it always bounces back. And apparently that's a thing. But still, it's like it's approaching everything upside down. That if we if we go to our neighborhoods, we don't feel like we change the world. We change the world if we really did that. We like it, it's 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 that's how it's designed to work. It's designed to work in a way that the world isn't expecting it to work. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that when you when you talk about the twelve guys, that that's how he decided to do it. it that's just yeah. There's so much there, so much depth there. Exactly. Like, yeah. But I, I think it's because it it hits at the at, at the point that like when when someone gets transformed from deeply within like we see those disciples you know we see people like peter just become like night and day kind of person and and that seed has grown in them like it's just like um like something is unleashed that (laughs) that is still available to us and rodrigo to your point of like kind of where maybe mainstream Christianity has gone these days where I think in one respects, it's alarming because the image of Christianity is getting, getting destroyed um, and, and hurt by, by what we most people typically see. I think for me with that, I see opportunity to like bring such a refreshing Yeah. message to people i think it will be hard to like break through these walls and barriers that have been built because of you know other things that have happened but i think when people see like, like oh this is christianity this is what we're talking about like this is the message like it, it's that when you when you really understood it it it, it like it transforms in a way that you, mm-hmm. you couldn't have imagined before mm-hmm. you know you are uh let me just throw this analogy out and then uh, we'll close out here because I started off being fired up about this episode and I'm leaving more fired up than I began because this has been an awesome conversation. Yeah. But let me, let me just close with this because I think you have hit on something that is totally on point. And I've, and I've had this conversation with other people and, this, and out of everything that I've talked about the kingdom, this is what excites me the most. Uh we're a humble operation here, right? Right. And, uh, you know, the the plan is for it to be a not-so-humble operation. <laughs> people Fired up. Listening to us, I am glad that we have a small audience right now. Mm-hmm. Because w- big change starts with a small group of people. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah. An irrefutable law of change is that yeah. big change starts with a small group of people. And for everybody that's listening, let me just say this again, appealing to my Mexicanness. The Mexican food that you eat in this country is not Mexican food. Okay. It's not. All right. You will. I went my entire youth up until I was 16 years old living in Mexico, in and out, right? Never once did I have a burrito. All right. Let me just say that. <laughs> but I say that to say that uh, the the what people think Mexican food is in this country is not, in fact, authentic Mexican food, which then opens the door for me to actually open people's eyes 
and give them a plate of food and go like, this is actual Mexican food. Oh my then gosh. they taste it and they go like, oh, this is amazing. And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. And it's the real stuff. Yeah. And I feel the same way with what many people consider Christianity is, right? Now, some people will never, and, have, and this has happened to me, some people will just go like, no, I like my Mexican food. Don't give me the real stuff. I want this fake stuff. This is what I like. Cool. Cool. Like, lost <laughs> to you, my friend. All right? But we have such a great opportunity to bring the, the, the real thing to people. Like, I feel like the, at this point in time, like, the world is thirsty for, and they don't even know it. The world is thirsty for real Jesus King Christianity yeah. to, to be present, right? And in many ways, like, I, I do feel like the, the, the fields are ripe. Right, yeah. People who are legitimate uh, kingdom dwellers who want to live the life the king wants them to live, the fields are ripe for those people to come along and, like, shine. And be like, oh, this is different. Why are you so different? Why are you so humble? Why are you so kind? Why are you so forgiving? Why are you so giving? What do you serve so much? Well, let me tell you. I have a king. And that king is upside down. And I'm upside down. And I don't follow the same power structures. And I don't think all these things are as cool as you think they are. And we can sit down and have a conversation about it if you want. Because I would love to. Because I want to introduce you to my king. Right. And like, again, like the, we have such a good opportunity to sort of like bring this legitimate. Right. Jesus is the king of my life, life to people. And I think if we do, if we make a concerted effort to really live that life and to really live it out and be weird and be upside down and live as the people of a foreign kingdom, like we have the opportunity to make such a great impact in the world and the world needs it. Like they need it. Like people need this stuff, man. Like they do. Uh, you know, like we, it's amazing to me, sort of like all the different stations that we visited through this conversation. And they've, they've all been completely appropriate because for Jesus to be king, all of those things sort of like have to exist. Like the concept of justice and the concept of like him being upside down and what does it mean for our lives? All of those things. Like I, this has been, at, again, I've enjoyed every podcast we've made and I feel like, but this one, like, because again, I was super fired up about talking about this because I, I feel like we don't talk about it enough. And even again, some of the stations that we visited, I wasn't ready to visit those stations. Like I didn't think we were going to go there. And then we got there and I'm like, man, this is even more awesome. <laughs> And so I say all that to say thank you guys. This has been amazing. Uh, we I think this may need a part two because we didn't get to the right. thing that I wanted to talk about, and I'm glad that we didn't because this ended up being awesome. But I do think that there's a, a few more things with the whole upside-down concept that I do really think uh, would be good to visit because I think we need to talk more about the, the sort of like upside-down dynamics that we're supposed to live under because those are really important both for the church and for the people around us. And so there will be a part two to this whole conversation, and then we'll continue our Kingdom series. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, vehemently disagree with us, or if you want to just encourage you by how much you were 
uh, you know, pumping your fist as we were talking about stuff, uh, please get in touch with us through social media at EtherMMC. If you have any issues with anything that I personally said, uh, you can find me at EtherMMC, at Rodrigo uh, Ether, sorry, at Rodrigo Ether, either on Twitter or on Instagram, and uh, I will be happy to uh, have a conversation about your disagreements. And uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, go in peace. We'll catch you in the next one. Dude, that was awesome. You guys, you guys brought it today. We got the freaking boys, the squad. Let's go.